Welcome to the Shalhaba Community Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by the following message. Um, appreciate the opportunity to be here in beautiful Shalhaba. One of the luckiest people in the world to live in a place like this. I come from Melbourne where it rains a lot. I got scared this morning. There was this bright thing in the sky. I said to Helen, what is that? She said, oh, that's the sun. We saw that once before down there in Melbourne once. I'm so glad you came to church today. I don't know what it is that got you in the doors, but whatever it is, God loves people and people need help. And so we're going to look in the Bible today and get some help. So I think whatever it is that gets you in the door on a Sunday is a good thing. I heard this story about a little uh, Catholic nun. She used to work for a Catholic uh, welfare agency and she would get up every day and put her little habit on and drive around and meet sick people in their homes and help them. One day she was out doing her rounds and her station wagon ran out of petrol, about a half a block from a petrol station. And she got out and went down and asked if she could borrow a can for the petrol. The man said, look, I'm sorry, someone's using that can but not wanting to uh, waste her whole morning waiting for it to come back. She went back to the station wagon, looked around for the biggest receptacle she could find and it turned out to be a bedpan. So she took the bedpan back down to the petrol station and she filled it up with petrol. And here's a nun walking down the sidewalk with a bedpan. Truck pulled up on the side of the road, a couple of workmen having their lunch. And they're watching this nun walk down the path with a bedpan. She gets to the back of a car and pours the contents into the tank. Um, one workman turns to the other. He says, you know, I'm not a religious man, but if that car starts, I'm going to church on Sunday. <laughs> um, now, I'm not sure if that's what got you to church here this morning, but if you did, great to have you. Glad you could come because uh, God wants to help people. And this morning, in a moment, we're going, to open the, we're going to open the Bible. We're going to look at a psalm and see what God wants to say to us. Had a great time Friday night. Now, if you missed Friday night, we talked about the Ten Commandments of Marriage. And if you want to catch up, we've got a single CD that, over, that uh, overlooks the whole of what we did, or some of what we did on Friday night, and that could help you. Uh, one other resource I'll draw your attention. We bring resources because you get just a couple of times to speak. You've got more to say than you can ever say in a couple of sessions but one that I love to share because that comes into my message this morning. The uh, largest service we ever ran uh, had in our church in 26 years that we ran uh, Care Force Church was the night I debated an atheist, invited a professional atheist. He was the founder of the Secular Party, Dr. John Perkins, and he was a real fan of Richard Dawkins and he wanted to explain to us um, how deluded we were, which was very helpful of him. And so... We put on the debate and we actually sold tickets for it. We sold 1,500 tickets, people trying to get into the building, and we gave the money away to the children's hospital. And then he and I debated for two hours whether Christianity is a delusion. At the end of that, uh, I had four people stand up and share miracles they'd had in their lives. He didn't have any miracles to share, so it was 4 nil for the Christians. <laughs> if you've never seen that kind of debate, where in church we get a chance to uh, talk about the extraordinary wonder of having faith in God. It's called the great debate. You might not only enjoy it yourself, you might have a friend that's never heard that kind of debate in church and it could really help them. Well, I want to talk to you today about removing some of the blockages to a move of God in your own life. I want to talk to you about complaints, complaints against God. One of the most trying seasons Helen and I ever went through was a period of two years where one of our boys left home it was sad because um, he'd been expelled from a couple of schools two of them were Christian schools and uh, he had had a little love affair with marijuana and knowing that we were never going to allow that to happen as part of our family life he left home in order to pursue his uh, little habit and for those two years it broke our hearts well um at the end of that season, Rodney Howard Brown came to Melbourne and he was having meetings in the Melbourne Entertainment Centre and my daughter was one of the platform worship leaders and they were extraordinary meetings. 6,000 people gathered there and they're just extraordinary. So I rang up my son and I said, Sammy, you ought to come and see this. Uh, Jenny's leading worship, come and have a look. So here he came along and sat with us. 
15 minutes into the, into the service, his tears running down his face. And then we sat right on the very front row of the Melbourne Entertainment Centre. And at one point, Rodney Howard Brown wanted to pray for all the ministers. So all the ministers stood up and they were up in the aisle somewhere. And so the front 10 rows were completely empty, except for one teenager sitting on the front row. And one of the visiting ministers from the United States saw my boy sitting on the front row, got down off the platform and went and sat with him, had a conversation with him, prayed for him, and he spent an hour and a half lying on the carpet. And then he just started moving his stuff back into home. I woke up one day and my boy was back home again and we'd made it through our crisis. Today he's married with four of his own kids and getting payback for treating his parents the way he did <laughs> all those years ago. But I never cease to be grateful for a pastor or a leader who would see a teenager sitting alone, go have a chat with him and change his life. And so it really troubled me that sometime later I heard that he was no longer in ministry. And I had no idea what would be at the back of that until a, an article appeared in the Charisma mag magazine so a few years ago and filled in the blanks. And this is what the article has to say. I won't mention his name because that's not the point. After the tragic death of his daughter, this leader's world spiraled down into the darkest place you could imagine. The co-founder of Without Walls turned his back on God for not healing his daughter of a brain tumor, as well as other life crises. He became addicted to prescri uh, prescription drugs and eventually attempted suicide. From the bottom, he had nowhere else to look but heavenward. He sought professional help, finally pulled himself out of his spiritual depression by the grace of God, and now he is returning as Bishop of Without Walls and is sharing his testimony in a book entitled, Only God Knows Why. White is also sharing his personal testimony of God's restoration at the church's 21-year anniversary. And he said, I'm so thrilled to be back at Without Walls. God has done a wonderful work in my life. He is the God of restoration. Uh, and here he was now through his crisis. What was it that took this precious man out of ministry for a period of time? Disappointment, a complaint against God a feeling that God had let him down in, a, in the most critical moment of his life. And here is one of the biggest issues that you and I will have to face at at least one point in our life, and that is that uh, our walk with God doesn't unfold exactly the way we had hoped it would, and we find ourselves with a complaint against God, and we don't know how to get past it. And unless you do, it has the ability to eat your lunch. Complaints against God, you've got to learn how to resolve complaints against God. I'll give you another example. Just a few years ago, a film came out called Billy, The Early Years, which was about the life of Billy Graham. This film focuses, however, on those years when uh, Billy Graham and Charles Templeton were doing ministry together. Now, Charles Templeton, during the 1940s, was a very... Uh, immoral man and he was an alcoholic but during uh, the 19 uh, those years 1936 he had an encounter with God that radically changed his life and he became an evangelist he became a preacher and he and Billy Graham were doing their ministry together however during the 1940s evolution the theory of evolution began to erode his confidence in the Bible and as a result, he began to develop this sense that maybe he couldn't trust God, that maybe God's word isn't true. And as a result, he began to be, he, his heart opened up for a complaint against God, which Templeton says was triggered eventually by a photograph he saw on the front page of the Time magazine. It was a woman holding a dying child in her arms in an Ethiopian famine, and in that moment, he exploded and said, how can I trust in you when you can't even make it rain? And out of that, he became a rabid atheist and wrote many books against the faith. And it's in one of those books that he talks about his relationship with Billy Graham. It's fascinating watching how two lives can be walking with God and experiencing the power of God and then suddenly a complaint grabs one heart and down a very different pathway his life is then channeled. In this book he explains uh, the moment where he and Billy 
had a very earnest conversation. He says, All our differences came to a head in a discussion which, better than anything I know, explains Billy Graham and his phenomenal success as an evangelist. In the course of our conversation, I said, But Billy, it's simply not possible any longer to believe, for instance, the biblical account of creation. He said, It's not a matter of speculation. It's a demonstrable fact that the world has evolved over millions of years. I don't accept that, Billy said, and there are reputable scholars who don't. Well, who are these scholars, I said? Men in conservative Christian colleges? Well, most of them, yes, he said. But that is not the point. I believe the Genesis account of creation because it's in the Bible. And I've discovered something in my ministry. When I take the Bible literally, when I proclaim it as the Word of God, my preaching has power. When I stand on the platform and I say, God says, or the Bible says, the Holy Spirit uses me. There are results. Wiser men than you or I have been arguing questions like this for centuries. I don't have the time or the intellect to examine all sides of the theological dispute, so I've decided once and for all to stop questioning and accept the Bible as God's Word. In fact, Billy Graham will describe the very night that that happened. He said he spent an entire night in prayer, disturbed by the, con the conversations he'd been having with Charles and realizing there were questions that he didn't have the answer to. He said, one night I simply made a decision, I'm trusting God. If I don't understand it, I'm still trusting God. But Billy, I protested, you cannot do that. You don't dare stop thinking about the most important question in life. Do it and you begin to die. It's intellectual suicide. I don't know about anybody else, Billy Graham said, but I have decided that that is the path for me. And out of that diversion, Charles Templeton developed a complaint against God that God wasn't coming through on some of the things he felt he ought to be doing. And as a result, he became a rabid atheist. If you want to read a really moving encounter with Charles Templeton, Lee Strobel has written a book called The Case for Faith. And in the opening chapter of that book, he records that interview that he held with that man, Charles Templeton, in the final uh, few years of his life. By this time, he was uh, dying of uh, Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, and as a result, he knew his time was getting close. And at the end of his explanation to Lee Strobel about his atheism, Lee Strobel asked him a question. He said to him, what do you think about Jesus? He said he began to cry. His shoulders were shuddering. And he said to me, I miss him. I miss him. Well, why don't you go home, Charles? Why don't you go talk to Jesus again? Now, his complaint had become so rigid and fixed in his heart and his mind. He misses the one who touched his life back there in the 1930s, transformed his life, and allowed a complaint against God to become the defining moment in his life. You and I need to learn to deal with our complaints against God. The interesting thing about this is that complaints against God is something that God doesn't mind people talking about because you find them right there in the Bible. God's quite happy to have this subject openly discussed. There are entire books of the Bible that are complaints against God. He doesn't mind having them in the Bible. The book of Job is an extended complaint against God. The book of Habakkuk is one prophet's complaint against God. And now this morning, I want to open up with you Psalm 73 because here is a psalm of complaint against God and in this psalm we discover some really important insights for learning how to handle your complaints against God. Uh, it, it's so vital because firstly it will be an issue that every follower of Christ will encounter at some point in your life. Listen, God says to us, my thoughts aren't your thoughts and my ways aren't your ways. Now, if that is not a recipe for conflict, I don't know what is. If God is thinking about life differently than you, 
and he is planning different pathways of life than you would have planned, there will come a point when you get cross with God. Because it isn't working out the way you expect. It's what causes marriage conflicts. My ways aren't her ways. My thoughts aren't her thoughts. Well, there you go. That's marriage conflict right there. There's lots of reasons for it. And there's a lot of skills to be learned to make sure that doesn't destroy your marriage. Well, complaints against God will have the ability to destroy your, destroy your faith. And you've got to figure out how to manage those moments because at some point in every believer's life, his ways will not be your ways. His thoughts will not be your thoughts and you'll have a conflict. The second issue that brings this to the fore is that we are living in a time of rabid atheism and this very issue is one of the chief planks in militant atheism. And you've got to be able to, to feel this issue. It's one of the chief planks in the attacks of, on faith in Christ. And it is an increasingly common theme in movies of all kinds. Anyone that has ever, for example, saw the, the movie The Grey with Liam Neeson about these guys trying to escape from a pack of wolves in the Alaskan wilderness... Every conversation around the, the campfire that these men have on this extended journey is a theological conversation. The whole of it, does prayer, does prayer make any difference? Is the universe silent? Is there anybody up there that cares about the struggles of people? It's the entire film. And right to the very end, when Liam Neeson to the, comes to the very final moments of the film, he sits down and leans up against a tree and he cries out to God, and then in the silence says, ah, forget it, I'll do it myself. One of the most strident planks in militant atheism and so frequently shared these days through films and media of various kinds. If you can't handle this, it has the ability to not only keep people from faith, but to destroy the faith you have. And as a result, we come to a psalm in which we find a, a complaint in which the writer is prepared to confess that there was something about the universe that so disturbed him it nearly destroyed his walk with God. Psalm 73. Surely God is good to Israel, to, th to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. Well, that's as honest as it gets. God doesn't mind this psalm in the Bible because he knows that it may well be your experience one day and you have something to learn about how to walk this pathway. Okay, buddy, you put it there, out there on the table. I'm, I'm prepared today to say God's good, but there was a time I really didn't think so. I'd nearly lost my footing. Well, what's your problem, you sourpuss? I mean, what, what is your problem? Well, he says this, For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. That's a summary of his complaint. You see, one of the challenges we face is that we believe God's a good God. We believe God's a moral God. Well, how can a moral God let immoral people prosper? And how can a moral God let moral people struggle? I mean, one of the interesting things, well, I don't have to create complaints for you. Um, it, it'd be so much easier if we didn't think that God was interested in the world, that he's created the world, he stepped back from it now, just, it's all just going to unfold until Jesus comes and then God will intersect. It's not, a, it's not easy to be a charismatic. It's not easy to be a Pentecostal. It's not easy to live in a world when you believe that God is a moral God, He cares about people, and you believe He's powerful, and He loves people. Well, then why doesn't He do more? I mean, if I could do what God does, I'd do it. I, I mean, I'd do it. I'd, I'd fix things. I'd give me the conch for five minutes. I'd sort a few things out. And here's His complaint. Let me ask you, what's yours? What's yours? What's your complaint? Because the fact is that many of us have complaints that are like a burr under our saddle. They're experiences we've had in life. When we saw it happen, we said, you know, God, if I was you, I would have fixed that. I would have done that. Um, for this precious minister, it was the brain tumor in his own daughter. Now, if, if, you, if you don't believe in the power of God, if, you don't believe, if, you, if you're a cessationist, if you say miracles have stopped happening, 
well, then you can live with it. You say, well, God just wants us to soldier on and be very courageous and then we'll all get sick and die and one day Jesus will raise us from the dead and we'll have life everlasting and that'll be great. And that would be easier to handle than when you have a belief that God can do anything and that God intersects people and miracles take place and extraordinary encounters with Jesus and with the Heavenly Father are actually, are actually possible. See, because the reality is this, when we bump into a complaint, we start saying, why wouldn't God, and then you fill in the blank, whatever your complaint actually is. And the reality is this, that every one of us who believe in the power of God at some point are set up to encounter a complaint with God. This, guys, was simply over the issue of how come in a universe where a moral God rules and reigns on the throne, can immoral people prosper the way they do? Fact is, we hold God responsible for most stuff because we know by his power he could do all kinds of things. What we find distressing is that God in his wisdom allows many things that his power could easily have prevented or his power could easily rectify and he doesn't do it. And as a result, we are set up for a complaint. And as this uh, psalm unfolds, you realize the impact that this can have on a person's life because in our humanity, we get grieved by this stuff. Just a few weeks ago, one of my next door neighbors fell through a hole in the first floor where he was putting down some yellow tongue, dropped onto his back, and he's a paraplegic. I visited him in hospital the day before I left on this trip. And I think of him every day. And I know that God in his power can heal this guy. I know that. I'm totally convinced that God has the capacity to, restore, to restore his back. And what we will all now live with is we're not sure yet how all of this will unfold. We uh, believe in for a miracle. But there'll be moments for his children where there'll be a real potential for their grief over their father to become a stumbling block for their relationship with Jesus. Because not only is now there the potential for them to be grieved, there is great potential to be embittered against God and begin to feel in your gut that you're going to war against someone who doesn't move as quickly as you really feel he ought to do. And watch it unfold in this psalm. I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. It's interesting. Once you begin to develop, develop a complaint against God, it begins to become the glasses through which you see uh, life. You begin to reinterpret reality. You begin to get a different perspective on reality, and not all of it is very accurate. Is that true? They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens, and they are not plagued by human ills. Well, that's remarkable. I didn't realize the mafia were doing this well. I didn't realize they were all that fit and healthy and life was going so well for these criminals. Therefore, pride is their necklace. That's true. They clothe themselves with violence. All too often that is true. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Big talkers. Therefore, people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They, they suck people in. People get influenced by their point of view. They'll swallow anything they dish up. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, they go on amassing wealth. Thieves can get $5 billion together to put up a brand new casino. And right here in Shell Harbour, we're scratching to put up a shelter at the, at the local school. Where's the justice in that? And it, and it gets under your skin. When you know that often missionary organisations are running on the smell of an oily rag, 
and big bucks are flowing like a river down many of the very destructive elements that pull our society apart. Seems to be always money available for that kind of stuff. And it gets under your skin. It begins to disturb your relationship with God. And the fact is that it can become um, so disturbing that down verse 21, listen to how, how difficult it got for him. He said, when my heart was grieved and my spirit was embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a brute beast before you. This stuff will really uh, twist you up. Fact is, um, I know about this stuff because I've been through it. See, I'll, I'll look back to, uh, there's a whole, I could give you a whole series. I'll just pick one. One of those moments when I bumped into a complaint against God. See, when I was 19, um, Helen and I were going out together and God called me into the ministry. We were both preparing to be teachers. God called me into the ministry. I didn't want to be a minister. It was the, I thought it was the worst thing I'd ever heard in my life. And as a result, I have no desire until as the years unfolded and I began to understand the need that people have for theology and the need for truth and the need for God and then the Holy Spirit began to do stuff and I cast out some demons and began to see the power of God at work. Um, eventually, as a high school teacher, I started sharing Jesus on the high school campus and we had a revival in our high school. In fact, it was so extraordinary. Um, I got dragged into the principal's office one day and the principal was waving his finger in my face and saying, we are not going to have a revival in this school. And the reason he was saying it was because we were having a revival in the school. I baptised 35 of the senior students in my backyard in a single year. Um, I was leading kids to Jesus six a day in the back of the typing class. It was, it was an amazing season. And in the middle of all of that, an old injury that I had from cricket and all the other stuff I'd ever done exploded and I found myself lying on the ground in agony. And before you know it, I was carted off to um, Austin Hospital and I never got up again until that spine injury was rectified now as I was lying in hospital I began to develop an expectation I began to think I began to see the the the, the wonderful hand of God in this wounded back of mine because you see I'd become the focal point of preaching Jesus in my high school and suddenly I'm down and in the hospital and everybody knows where I am Al's not here why well Al's lying in Austin hospital he's he's, he's got a burst disc and as I became aware of just how you know, serious the need was and that it was going to require some significant surgery, I began to develop an expectation that God would use this as a great way of kind of carrying Jesus further into the high school. I began to develop an expectation that I was going to get a miracle. God was going to do a miracle in my back. And I could see it all. I could see an angel coming into my room and rubbing my back and I would jump out of bed as totally healed and I could imagine sharing it at the Monday morning assembly. A thousand kids there, uh, some believers, most of them unbelievers and sharing about the power of God. 60 or 70 teachers falling on their face in repentance. Uh, an amazing move of God, Jesus flowing all over my school that it runs like a tsunami out of our school across Melbourne into Australia, jumps to Tasmania. Uh, is, is that part of Australia? Oh, who, who knows? Um, over to New Zealand, to America. All the earth will be saved through my amazing miracle. And then in Psalm 34, uh, I read this passage, and not a bone of his body shall be broken. Well, it was about Jesus. Well, I thought that could be about me too. And then the surgeon came to explain to me the operation that they needed to do. It's called a laminectomy where you've got to take a little piece of bone. You've got to take some of the bone off a of vertebrae to get at those discs. And I thought, well, that's proof. That's proof. The Bible says not a bone of his body will be broken. There's proof I'm going to get a miracle healing. And a great expectation began to develop. Right up to the night before the operation, I could hardly wait for that angel to show up. Well, I got hardly sleep all night. And I woke up in the morning, I know there's no miracle yet. They'll wheel me down to the operating theatre and discover the miracle has taken place. But when I came to after the operation and I realised that none of my expectations had been fulfilled, I was so disappointed with God. I thought, what's the point of reading your Bible? 
goodness me, Bernie, you think you're you're getting something from the Bible and it turns out not to be true. And I, I just wound down into a funk, into a deep disappointment with God. I couldn't open my Bible for six months. It was puzzling to me. Funny thing is that when that happens to you, you start thinking your, your faith is pointless. You start thinking, all those times I prayed and believed, what was the point of that? What's the point of reading your Bible? You, get, you think you're getting something from God and it turns out not to be true. That's exactly what happened in this task. Amazing. I'm not Robinson Crusoe. Someone went through this before me. It says it right here. This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Listen to him talking to himself. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure, and I have washed my hands in innocence, for all day long I have been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishment. I felt like my spiritual walk was a waste of time. How do I know anything real? But here was my problem. I was at the focal point of a whole group of kids who saw me as their pastor. They don't know that that Al's going through a crisis in his walk with Jesus. They just know that Al's the preacher and he talks to us at lunchtimes and in his house on Friday night. And so all the kids start turning, just keep turning up at my house on Friday night. And there was one thing I did not want to do was to damage their, I didn't want to infect them with my complaint. And that's right, it's it's funny, it's right in in the Bible. It says here, if I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. I'll ruin the next generation if I let them know what I'm struggling with. But listen, when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply and it was exactly how it was for me. And it went on for nearly a year. The reality is that the kids kept turning up at my house on a Friday night And because they turned up, I thought, well, they expect me to preach. I I haven't read my Bible all week, but I better preach something. And I'd open my Bible, and as I'd open my Bible and I'd begin to read the words, I'd feel a little fountain of life start to flow in here. Just a little glow of grace and kindness and the love of God. And for those next 20 minutes as I opened it and shared, I could feel life bubbling up through my heart and I'd feel that I love God, and oh, you're, God, you're good and you're gracious. And then I'd close my Bible, and the kids would go home, and I would sink back into my little dark place for the next seven days. And that went on for nearly a year, until I was so dry. Oh, I was dry. I got up one morning, Sunday morning before church, and I said to God, I'm so desperate, I'm so dry. I feel so far from you. I'll do anything to change this. I went off to church and one of the guys, Al Vandenberg, was preaching on revival. He'd just come back from an encounter with Asian students where God was moving in power and, and I was so stirred. Oh, that's what I want. I came out on altar call. Next thing you know, it's an altar call to go to Bible college. Well, hang on. I've got a wife and three kids. I'm a teacher. What, how am I going to make a living? Next thing you know, I'm standing on an altar call and I'm deciding whether I'm going to obey God for the rest of my life and just yield the rest of my life. And I did. I quit my job and I went into Bible college with my complaint. Now, in the first couple of weeks in Bible college with my complaint, I I mean, I'm brilliant. I could figure out that this needed to be addressed. I wasn't sure how to do it. And one day in Bible college, I went out for a long walk on a paddock. And I said to God, I don't understand you. I feel like you blew it. I could see it all. I could have drawn your diagram. Do you realize what we could have done if you just showed up with a Healy? When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. I said to God, I don't understand you. But I said to him, I, do, I can see one thing. I'm in Bible college with my wife and three kids and I'm aware of something. If you and I aren't close, this could turn out quite badly Um, because right now I am totally dependent on you 
actually showing up in my life. My, my entire future is now in your hands. And, and I don't know how to deal with this complaint. But I'll tell you what, I don't want this to be my defining moment. I don't want a complaint to be the pair of glasses through which I view everything for the rest of my life. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to take my complaint and I'm going to park it. I'm going to put it up on a shelf. I'll put it in a box and I'm going to mark it AFL, Awaiting Further Light. I don't understand it. It's, I just don't get it. But here's the deal. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I tell you, heaven said, oh, did you hear that? I said, that breeze going to give God the benefit of the doubt. Angels were walking around saying, la, 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 la. But God, he, he understands the challenge. Every parent has had a cranky child at some point or another. <laughs> you're not fair. You're not fair. There's hardly a parent has never heard the pita. You're not fair. Well, you didn't kill them. It's the only reason we've got grandchildren is you don't kill your kids. It's God's reward for not killing your kids. Grandchildren. God's had cranky children before. He understands how limited our view is. He understands we don't see what he sees. And he's just patient with us. That day I said to God, I tell you what I'll do, I'll put it up on that box and I'll put an AFL on it, awaiting further light, and I'm going to put it to one side. I'm going to trust you all over again. And I am so glad I made that decision. If I had not made that decision, I wouldn't be here to talk to you today. If I had not made that decision, I would never have had the privilege of laying hand on, hands on blind people and having God restore their sight. I would never have been there to see Michael Gretschko, to cast a demon out of Michael and for him to become one of my best friends and become a pastor and do, do our doctorates together. I would miss out on all the fantastic stuff that I've seen because of one thing I didn't understand. I just All I could do was put it up in a box and say, awaiting further light. And as a result, uh, was I was able to, to go on. You see... You've got to find a bottom rung so that you don't just go down and down and down and step off into unbelief. Step off that stairway to heaven, that ladder that leads, that Jacob's ladder that angels ascend and descend on. That ladder is Jesus. That He's the only way to the presence of God. He said, I'm the way, the truth. I don't want to get off Jesus. I don't want to get off that pathway to everlasting life and step into unbelief. And sometimes you just got to make a decision that there's a bottom rung to this ladder and I'm just not getting off it. And for me, it was just the same one as this. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. But when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God and then I understood their final destiny. Here is one of the biggest challenges you and I face with God, and that is you and I have such a microscopic view of life, and it is so anthropocentric. It's so centered on us, on me and my life, and what might come out of my life. God is not dealing with the same perspective, and he's not dealing with the same agenda. My agenda is often what would make me happiest and feel like I was the most successful, God says, well, that's very interesting for you. But for me, the question is, how can I share my holiness with you? Because my viewpoint is not tomorrow morning or even 20 years from now. It's, it's eternity. It's, it's forever and ever. Amen. That's my picture for you, Al. And as a result, sometimes we butt heads because you know what would make you happy today? You see, I have no idea what would have happened had that miracle taken. What if God had taken this arrogant, noisy, 25-year-old, 27-year-old and given him a miracle? I have no idea what damage I might have done. I have no idea if I'd even be here. Many times people have had profound experiences with God. They, they tend to use them to their own destruction and sometimes to the destruction of others. And sometimes when you love your kids, you just don't let them play with the carving knives. 
You know, don't run around the house with scissors in your hand. You see, I'm taking the scissors off you. No, I can cut things. I know you can cut things with the scissors, but you're not having them today. And you're not fair to me. Oh, no, maybe not. I just love you a whole lot so that one day you won't grow up with parts cut off your body because you ran around the house with scissors in your hand. You have no idea what you're doing, you little tyke. (laughs) And as a result... We go to war with God, the one who loves us, the one who sees more than you'll ever see, the one for whom he can say, all the ways of the Lord are mercy and truth. Don't get angry. He said, here's how this guy resolved his deal. He said, I I couldn't understand it until I went into the sanctuary of God and then I understood their final destiny Surely you place them on slippery ground, you cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, O Lord, the problem with God arising is he takes a really long time to do anything suddenly. If if you'd ever been a Jew waiting for the, the, the millenniums for Jesus to show up, Abraham to Jesus is 2,000 years. Where were you all this time? We've been hanging out for you. Bible says in the fullness of time, Christ was born of a woman born under the law to redeem them that are under the law. The fullness of time. Yeah, but wasn't that like a long... No, it wasn't. No, you see, you have no idea what you're dealing with. And so often you form judgments on totally inadequate information. You have no idea what the outcome would be. And as a result, by the grace of God, here this man said, I got in the sanctuary and I remembered something. He said, I remembered that uh, there's, there's a, a thing called when, God, when you arise, when you arise. But listen to how, how um, honest he is. When my heart was grieved and my spirit was embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was as thick as two planks. I was like a brute beast before you. See, there's some things that you need to think through from time to time that'll help you get over a complaint. I don't know what your complaint is, but most of you here will have at least a little burr under your saddle. Some of you are facing a roadblock. Your complaint has become so real and hurtful to you, disappointing to you, it has become a roadblock to your faith and God has sent me here today to help you just move it out the way because he loves you. He knows that you might be as silly as a wheel right now. You, might be, you may be weird in your thinking because this has upset you so much that just like this guy, you could be honest enough to say, I have been grieved, I have been bittered, and I'm as silly as an ass in the way I think. I say, why should I trust God? Why should, how can I? I say, well, that bah, bah, that's all you're doing, man. There's just weird animal noises coming out because you're hurt and you're disappointed. Well, I tell you, there's something that's really helped me down the years. You see, this guy's complaint, essentially is about God's patience. See, he wants God to fix the, uh, uh, the uh, immoral people really quick. I don't understand why you're so slow to confront immoral people. See, if it was me, give me the conscience. There's lots of people I'd kill before nightfall. I'd just clean the earth. You see, one day, Jesus told a parable. He said, a farmer went out and sowed good seed in his land And in the evening, his enemy came and sowed tares among them. And in the morning, they woke up, and there they were. Wheat and tares were growing together. And the laborers said to the farmer, would you you like us to go out and pull up all those weeds? And the farmer, with some understanding, said, no, let's not do that, lest in pulling up the weeds, you pull up wheat along with them. Aren't you glad that God isn't quick to judge immoral people where would I be today if God had decided to sort me out when I was 18 years old going to church on Sunday and milking petrol out of other people's cars and then using the petrol to get to choir practice on a Thursday night where would I be today if God was really quick in punishing wicked people where would I be today if thieves 
had their hands cut off because in my first year university, I used to steal my lunch from the university cafeteria nearly every day. I'd get my, I don't want to teach you how to be criminals, but I used to get my tray and I'd come along and I'd be getting off my Chico rolls and dim sims and French fries, you know, the student health food. And I'd wander down to where, oh, I forgot my knife and fork. And I'd go and get a knife and fork and I wouldn't come back. Then I'd take, have the dollar to put in an offering on a Sunday. There's something essentially wrong with that. Aren't I glad that God didn't decide to heal my brokenness uh, with, a, with a good bang on the head? Because I wouldn't be here to talk to you. You see, what we really want is we want God to fix other people's immorality, but we're so grateful he's been patient with us. You see, that's what it took a little while for you. See, God has an ace up his sleeve. This is one of the most important insights you will ever have. When you are facing injustice, when you feel like things are unjust, realize, number one, God has been really patient in dealing with my injustices, the way I have been unjust and for that I'm grateful don't be afraid to extend that gratitude to other people even if it's at your expense and the second thing is God has a great ace up his sleeve it's called the resurrection of the dead the day of judgment and the life everlasting see there'll be passages in the Bible you read them and when you read them if you're not careful you get angry is that passage in Luke where Jesus is born and King Herod decides to try to remove the threats to the throne. And so he sends the soldiers down the road to Bethlehem and they kill every child under the age of two. How fair is that? You're one of those little two-year-olds. And a soldier came and ran his sword through your tiny little body because Jesus was born. Oh God, how fair is that? You send Jesus into the world and I get killed for it. Ah, resurrection of the dead. You go and talk to one of those little kids on the day of resurrection and say, oh, I believe you lost your life because Jesus was born. How angry are you at God? He'll say, shut your face. The greatest day of my life was when I got caught up in the, the ministry of saving an entire world. So what? Other people got raised into a life of suffering. I got to go home when I was two. And here I am clothed with, I'm one of the bundle that gave their lives when Jesus came. You try and talk that into a complaint. It's the greatest medal of honour I will wear through all eternity. You shut your mouth. You've got to recognise the resurrection of the dead and the life everlasting. It's an amazing and wonderful thing. Now let me close by drawing some threads together. What do you think God thinks about you and your struggle with your complaints? God hates you? God angry with you? Planning to break your arms and legs? I'll give you something to complain about. You want something to complain? I'll give you something to complain about. Yeah, I'm claim to com complain to me. I'll send you home. That well, that's what sometimes parents feel like saying. I'll give you. I want to cry. I'll give you something to cry about. <laughs> Listen to the Bible. Listen to the Word of God. When my heart was grieved and my spirit was embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Nevertheless, I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards you will receive me into glory. For whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail me, but God is the strength of my life and my portion forever. God today would love to come. You've been struggling with a complaint. There's stuff you don't feel has been fair. God would want to come to you and say, let's remove that roadblock. Even if you don't understand it, put it to one side and say, awaiting further light right now i feel a little bit like a dumb beast i've been angry i've been bitter i've been grieving and god says listen i've never left you i'm holding you by your right hand 
I'm guiding you with my counsel and afterwards I'll receive you into glory. Let it go. Let it go. You have no idea what you... Some of this is beyond your ability to understand. Only God knows why. And there's a time for you to come to him and say, God, I've been angry, I've been upset, I've been grieving and I've been bitter, but I don't want to stay this way. I want to come to you and say, if Jesus had no complaints, then I'm not going to have any either. You know, the person who knew God the best, Jesus said, no one has ascended into heaven except him that came down from heaven. The only one who really knows the heart of the Father is Jesus. And Jesus didn't have a single complaint. And today he'd just love to help you to finish yours. Would you bow your head with me in Jesus' name? Father, thank you for the Bible that gives us the privilege of seeing the struggles of life as they really are. Thank you that you didn't paper over this stuff, but you've given us insight. And now you're calling us to action. I pray for every man, every woman in this room who in their honesty would say, I've got one of those burrs under my saddle and I don't want it to become the glasses through which I view my faith in you and the goodness of my God. So today I'm going to come to you and humble myself and say, whatever I don't understand, awaiting further light, I'm going to trust you all over again. I'm going to do a Billy Graham and make a decision. I'm going to decide to trust you. And this is my prayer, Father, in that, that moment. Would your spirit just come and lift the burden? Lift the struggle and let them know you will never leave them nor forsake them all the days of their life. Amen. Now, in just a moment, we're going to do some other stuff, but whatever it is, I will come back here at the end of the service, and if that's you, get out of your seat. Come, stand in the presence of God and say, here I am, and I'm going to come, I'm going to lay my hands on you and pray for you. I survived my complaint. I'd love to know that you're going to survive yours in Jesus' name. Amen.